Welcome to A Champion's Mind with your host, Mario Aroyave. Some say the sky's the limit. It isn't. The limit is in your mind. You believe that or else you would not be listening to this podcast. You believe that you could do more. You believe that you can perform at a higher level than you currently are. You are absolutely right. Thanks for being open-minded and allowing this podcast to help you develop a champion's mind. In this podcast, we'll discuss and hear about some mental strategies we can implement to help you achieve your utmost performance. If you feel like you're not performing at your true potential, this podcast will look to give you the keys that can open that lock. Hey, thank you all for tuning in to the Champion's Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mario Ariave, and I've got an interview here with special guest, professional cyclist from the Midwest for the rally cycling team, Brad Huff. Brad, thank you so much for giving us some of your time here to share some insight with us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. So, Brad, can you, just to touch base, some people may not know who you are or maybe some of your accomplishments, so can you kind of throw some of that out there just to get the ball rolling? Oh, I'm just like every guy out there. Uh, started cycling at a young age, kind of got hooked on it quickly, really aspired to make it to the professional ranks, but it took me a good 10 years to turn professional. And uh, from then on, I've just put my head down and done my best to keep improving. And I've been a professional cyclist for about 11 or 12 years now and have a lot of losses and a few wins along the way. And uh, I'm just really proud of what I've done. Awesome. So just to give the folks listening, if you guys want a little bit more uh, background on Brad Huff and part of what inspired me to reach out to him to get him for this podcast episode was he did a podcast episode of, on the Laser podcast, L-A-Z-E-R, and uh, it's the company that sponsors them with some great helmets and product and stuff, and so I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes so you guys can access that, and that was just a really, really cool interview. But what I'm going to focus with Brad predominantly on for our episode here for this podcast is the mindset. So Brad, can you take us through, if you think about the beginning of your cycling career to where you are currently, has your mindset changed at all during that period? Yeah, you know, in, in the early stages, just like any athlete, you know, you aspire for the top and you think anything's achievable. And, uh, you know, when you have your first setbacks or your third or your sixth setback, you know, it really causes you to reevaluate the process you're going through the preparation that you're putting yourself in or the education that you're giving yourself along the way. And, you know, I've really learned through a lot of hardships, injuries, losses, time away from the sport, that there is a lot more to athletics than winning. And it's uh, the process that you gain from it, the determination, the tenacity that you gain. And that's really enabled me to stick with it throughout the years and, you know, being kind of one of the senior citizens in the pro ranks out there. I mean, I'm 38 years old, but yet I'm still able to compete, you know, don't win all the time, but every once in a while I get a win, but more so I'm there for my teammates and I'm committed to, you know, something that's bigger than me, you know, working for my teammates who are way better, way more capable than I. And, uh, that really gives me, uh, you know, more determination to keep pushing myself and, uh, yeah. And, and helping them along the way to have confidence in themselves. So that's kind of awesome. how it's went. Yeah, I love it. For those folks that tune into this podcast, you know, I did a series over John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. And if you can kind of replay the answer to Brad's, you know, question there that I asked, you will begin to hear a lot of those blocks of teamwork and friendship and loyalty 
and those kinds of things kind of go into play. And Brad's being humble. Brad has been extremely successful, but at the same time, he talks about the fact that he's suffered quite a bit of setbacks. And so you get good and you get bad, but he's still enjoying the journey, which is awesome. And he brings a ton of energy to the table for himself and his teammates and for the crowd in general. He's a crowd favorite. We'll talk about that in a second. I think the biggest thing that I really have learned and it's kind of been in the last few years is what has propelled me is that belief, that belief in myself, the faith that I am on the right path, you know, really investing in myself in the correct areas and not letting doubt creep in, even though it does and anxiety tends to take over at some point in time in your career or even in the middle of a race. And, uh, you know, I, I just think the biggest thing for me is not putting those limitations on myself and saying, you know, well, if I don't win, then I haven't performed or I haven't, you know, done my best. And the fact that I've come to the point where if I get 90th place, but yet I've given my all for myself or my team, well, I'm proud of myself and I'm developing and I'm learning from that. And uh, that's a big deal for the younger athletes to realize that it's not all about making it on the podium. It's about what you do in the race that gets you to the finish line. Absolutely. And in a, so what you're telling me, Brad, is that in a sport like cycling, where there's 150 dudes to line up for a race, it's probably not a good idea to always run to the result sheet and base your value and your worth on what numbers next to your name, is it? No. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty bad way to look at it. Because over the years in the sport, because I've been around so long, you realize the depth of the field has increased exponentially. And now, you know, you'd go to races and you'd have a select group of 10 people going over the top of a climb. Now you've got 50 to 100 people still in the group. And then you can just see the level of the playing field has risen. And so if you're just always going on the fact that you're going to win the race, well, you're going to get disappointed quite often. And uh, I think that's what athletes need to realize is you're not going to win every day and you need to be able to pick yourself up and learn from that experience and uh, maintain your belief in yourself and in it. So. And for you and I, we were talking about this earlier before we came on air, you know, both born in 1979. So I'm creeping up on my 38th birthday as well. And for us, you know, you're saying it took 10 years to be a professional and that seems like a pretty long period of time for us, but not as much since we're a little bit older. But for a young buck out there listening to this podcast, they think 10 years and they're thinking to themselves, my gosh, that's an eternity, right? And so right. there's also that element of patience, of waiting on, of continuing to do the right things. And just like you said, just having faith and knowing that you're doing the right things, you're walking that right path. 10 years is a long time, folks, for something to come about. And like you said, there might be some doubt and there might be some anxiety as to whether how is this movie going to play out? How is this book going to end? But you just kind of keep doing the right things and you just kind of keep moving forward. And that means a lot of the times you got to put the blinders on and not be thinking so much about how your season went, what place you got, and all sure. those kinds of things because those things are generally going to kind of pull you away from continuing to invest in the process. Yeah, and I mean, unless you're born with a V12 engine with a supercharger, it's going to take a long time to build up that four-cylinder engine you have and get it to its maximum capacity. And so for a lot of us, it does take time. For some athletes, you know, they're a world-class athlete when they turn 18, 19 years old and they're able to, you know, go to the Olympic trials or make it to a professional team uh, without even blinking or, or even worrying about it. And, and so for me and my story, you know, 
it took me 10 years to turn professional. Yeah, I had a little victories early on, but the large part of that 10 years was education. And uh, I got a massage therapy degree. I got a nutrition degree. You know, I almost got an exercise science minor. I decided to just graduate instead of spend more time in college. But, uh, you know, it was it was the patience and it was educating myself and realizing that in endurance athletics or all athletics, it doesn't happen overnight. And you really have to, you know, kind of hook your hook yourself to the wagon and go for the long haul. And uh, it's really paid dividends for me. You know, in those early years, I really struggled to understand in the capacity that I, of that patience involved. And now that I'm kind of an elder in the sport, I realize that that was kind of one of my biggest, you know, weaknesses, but also my greatest strength is really, as I go back to, is the belief in myself and the time investment in it. And so, yeah, it takes a long while, but it's worth it. That's an interesting point that you make. You know, a very simple kind of phrase, I guess, is you don't know what you don't know, right? And so the problem with educating ourselves sometimes is that the more that we know, the more that we tend to maybe put limits on ourselves and tend to allow that to ding our confidence. Feel that line right there. You know, early on, I had a limitation put on me pretty early in my career before I even got my CAT 2 license. I was in an intercession class and it was for kinesiology and we were doing some, she, our, our professor, Dr. Barbara Bushman, needed some pupils for uh, VO2s. And I was like, well, I, I'll do it, you know. And so she tested my VO2 a couple times and I had a very low VO2, that maybe, you know, somewhere around 60. And for an elite athlete, that just is, isn't enough. And so early on, I kind of knew I had limita- physiological limitations on myself, but I didn't want to give into those. I didn't say, well, I've only got a 60 VO2. I'm not going to make it to this level of, of athletics. And I just refused to accept it. And, uh, you know, whenever I won my first national championship and I went back to Dr. Barbara Bushman and I pulled up cycling news and I showed her the picture, she she said, Brad, I do not know how you're doing what you're doing because <laughs> data. And it states that you should not be able to do this. And I just told her, I said, well, Dr. Bushman, I've got a lot of heart. And, uh, you know, that's really true for athletes out there. Like it's more your heart that will get you through it and what deep down drives you instead of what your genetics might say. And so, uh, you know, that's been real uh, strength of mine over the years is not giving in to those preconceived notions on an athlete. Yeah. So there's another quote, experts are proven wrong every day. And there's an example of that right there, right? That, you know, people would, so good mindset there by Brad, obviously, this is an example here of him to say, okay, I see what the data says. I see what science says, but I've got something else to say. Continue doing the right things. Continue. Here's what most folks would do with something like that. Most folks would grab that number of that 60 VO2 max and most, most folks would use that as an excuse. Or they would, you know, get to a certain level and say, well, I can't get any higher because this is what I'm playing with and this is what I've got. And the more we learn about people, see, I didn't know that about Brad and I wouldn't know that about Brad. I mean, who would think who out there would say, oh, yeah, he's got a 60 VO2 max. He's just punching way above his weight. Nobody would think that. See, everybody would think, oh, everybody in the Peloton's got to have at least a 70 or a 75 or there's guys in the 80s. Well, here's a guy that isn't. So once again, at the end of the day, does it really matter what that number is? And if we're thinking with our minds and our hearts, those folks that are really plugged into that would say no, because here it is. You've got a guy who's been a multiple time national champion and everybody would say, scientists in a lab would say that's not possible, right? 
So, man, great. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's so empowering. For those of you that are listening, I hope that you guys took that in. Brad, I, I want you to, I'm going to ask, you know, what is your definition of success? I know you alluded to it a second ago, but I want to make sure that you give a, a, a pointed answer here because I want people to make sure that this really sinks in. So what would be your definition of success? I think giving of yourself every day and just doing your best is the greatest thing of success. Knowing that you didn't quit early or you didn't allow uh, someone else's you know, comments to affect you. I think the greatest thing in success is just not allowing failure to hold you back is the biggest thing because in all honesty, we're all going to fail a lot. I mean, we're going to fail in, in a workout that we're doing today, but believing in yourself and moving forward and giving your best every time, even if it is subpar, you know, for what you're, you're is being asked of you, you know, just give your best and that's all you can do. So awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah I, I love, you know, I'll get an athlete or we'll get athletes and they'll get seventh place just to throw a number on it. And then after the race, you know, they'll say, man, I should have, you know, I could have gotten six. I should have tried harder. And if the rider didn't give a hundred percent, then that's a valid, that's a valid mindset to have. No, you gave 90%. You're right. You probably should have given that extra 10% and maybe that would have happened for you. But on the other side, you know, I, I've seen many races and competitions where the athlete is absolutely just flogged. I mean, they've got nothing yeah. left to give. I mean, they're just absolutely spent and they're absolutely tapped out. And then they get down on themselves and say, man, I should have tried harder. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no number after 100%. It's impossible. Right. So if you gave 100% and that was your best, like you said, even if you finished 90th, what were you going to do? Give 110% and finish 89th? Because that's not possible. Right, and I think that's a, it's a lot of, it's not so much that athlete came to the event with that mindset, it's because of so many people look at results. It's a result-driven sport in any sport. I mean, unless you win the gold medal, you're not really, you're not achieving. And so when those athletes go into the race and they, don't, they have that mindset, well, if I don't win, I haven't really performed, well, they're limiting themselves, you know, and they're understanding that. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we always can look back at a time trial or, you know, a Strava segment or a competition that we did, and he's like, oh, I could have went harder. Well, actually, you couldn't have went harder. That was your maximal effort, and there was things, both mentally and physically, that limited you at that time. And so it's how you come back that proves to yourself and those others that actually, well, that wasn't my best. Well, it was my best at the time, but I'm going to move past that, and I'll gain that 1% that I need to, you know, get sixth place this time instead of seventh. There you go. Awesome. Good segue into this. Brad, what's your view of or your approach to failure? There's been a lot of them in my career. Way more failures than wins. And, you know, it's really hard to not let, to, to allow failure to get, get into your into your psyche and really um, kind of psych you out of it and limit your limit performance on the, at the next event because, you know, you get to that one point in the race where you know you kind of faltered that last time. It's hard, you know. You really have to as I go back to, is believe in yourself and uh, prove yourself wrong and prove others wrong. You're not out there to prove anything. The only thing you're out there to prove is to yourself and uh, that you're, you know, doing the right right thing for yourself. Yeah. So you mentioned, like, learning. You mentioned growing. You mentioned those words a little earlier in this episode. So where do those fit in with failure? Time, patience, understanding that, just because you fail doesn't mean you're not doing the right thing. And, and that can be putting yourself in that position time and time again where you might fail 
20 more times, but that 21st time you succeed. And that's just proving to yourself that, that all of those failures were helping you to get to this point today, which is helping you to make it to tomorrow. Yeah. To give folks a little bit of history here, I first met Brad at the tour of Lawrence. I think it was maybe four or five years ago. And Brad being from the Midwest was home for a short stint. And so he took on this race and they were, you know, their criteriums, there were three criteriums, I believe. And he was out there and uh, another cycling legend, Steve Tilford was out there as well. And I remember one of the guys on my team, Adam Mills, who's also from the Midwest, was just telling me, hey, you know, if you want to do well, if you want to be in the right spots, like because Criterion Racing was not my strong suit. And he said, this is a great opportunity for you to follow some of the best guys there are in the country, Criterion Racing. And I did that race and I remember I was watching Brad and I'd watch Steve and I'm trying to keep up and I'm I'm on the wheels and I'm looking and, and we're back there in 50th and all of a sudden I pick my head up and Brad's in fourth and Steve's, you know, on the front or whatever. And I'm just watching and I was just amazed at their ability to move through the pack. And I remember my buddy Adam Mills, you know, he, you know, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, you know, I had a good, well, okay, listen, here's what I need you to understand though. These guys have done thousands upon thousands of criteriums already at the age that they are. And that's why they're good at this. This criterium racing, this is a discipline that there's skills that are to be learned. And the only way to learn those skills is to be there and to do them and repetition and making mistakes. And maybe sometimes you get it right. But then underlying all of that, it's are you learning and are you growing? When you're not in the right spot, did you go back and analyze it or did you just get mad because you finished 18th? Well, why, you know, drill it down. Why'd you finish 18th? What did you do wrong that you can do better for the next time, right? And so that's how it kind of, uh, that's how it kind of happened. Yep. 100%. So. And you know, that criterion, you know, just for people to kind of understand, it's a large criterion in the Midwest, you know, about, oh, 50 to 80 guys line up and they're the best of the best in the Midwest that are at the race. And I show up and I have a bullseye on my back. So even though I have a lot of experience and a lot of skill in this race, I've got 80, 80, 50 to 80 guys that are all looking to, to beat me specifically. <laughs> so I have to really pull in all the experience that I have and positioning myself and saving energy and carrying speed through this line or that corner and knowing before it needs to happen where I need to be or not allowing myself to, to be taken advantage of by a team that has seven riders and I'm just a single guy out there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an important for people to know that I just, I didn't just show up to that race and win it or Steve and I tag team the group. It was a concerted effort the entire day. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And it was years of experience that got me to the finish line. And, uh, because of that, I won that race four years, three years in a row, took a year off, and then I won it a fourth time. And so I showed up to that race four times, and I've won it four times. But I think I've done more effort physically and mentally in that race than I did possibly in a few international UCI races, just because those local races are so much more intense than even a big race. And, uh, you know, I just really knew that I had the capability to win the race, but unless I mentally put myself in the right position and, you know, keyed in a lot of people that didn't maybe have the experience in knowing what I was doing to them, I wasn't going to make to the line. There's yeah, that. that's interesting. So I guess in terms of your mindset, 
you were thinking about things that even just the other guys weren't thinking about. Uh, I'm trying to put words to this. So you were drilling, you were drilling it, you were drilling it down to an attention to detail that some of these other guys weren't even thinking about. Right. They were just reacting to me. Like if I moved right, they were going to move right. If I moved left, they were moving left. And so, you know, I might have done that, but I would, I'd play with the field that way. You know, they would react to me, which would help me position three turns later and, uh, and be where I needed to be to either, you know, follow the right wheel or be in position to go for the win. And, uh, yeah, that was a big part of it. So that's what you were doing to me, huh? Yeah. All right. And All a, right. That's and a lot of pedaling. fantastic (laughs) well let's uh brad what do you think like what kind of mindset do you think you've been in this game now you've been you've been 11 years still going strong what kind of mindset do you think if you had to take a snapshot and give us a quick little answer here to this what kind of mindset do you think it takes to be successful as a professional cyclist tenacity Uh, tenacity is kind of a word i always go back to because this sport is ruthless and it doesn't have much room for error and you will just suffer relentlessly from start to finish line just to get 80th place or to win or to get fifth. And having that tenacity throughout someone's career, even if they're just competing with their buddies on the weekends, you know, it's the willingness to not give in to fatigue or to, you know, getting dropped on a climb and just just coming back time and time again. And so really, you, we're just gluttons for punishment out there. And that's what enables uh, an athlete to make it uh, in the sport. Cool. So what is it? Uh, get knocked down? Yeah. What is it? Back get up knocked a- down 10 times, get up 11 or some, something to that effect, yeah. right? So. Yeah, and, I, and for cyclists, you know, it's that get dropped on every hill, but somehow make it back to the group. On the next, right. so you just, you know, and that's been a lot of my career. I mean, shoot, I've been dropped countless times, you know, in races that I've won. You know, I've done international races where we had a a climb in the first ten kilometers of the 170 kilometer race, and I was dropped out of the back, you know, by the ambulance. And next thing you know, I'm able to work my way back up, and we're ten kilometers from the finish. And my teammates say, "Brad, you can win today," and I'm like, "Dude, I am completely empty." And he said, "Brad." You're going to win. And, I'm, you know, I might have gotten third. I came close to winning or I won the race. And it's because of teammates that had faith in me and the belief in myself that I was like, all right, I can keep doing this. Even though I was dropped 100 kilometers ago, I'm going to get back in there and do it again. So tenacity. I love it. Brad, you mentioned teammates here, which is a good segue to this next question. Like you said that you're a veteran, I guess we'll call you, in the in the sport at this point. And so you've got some younger teammates around you and you kind of serve a bit of a mentorship role to them. So what is something that like what's what would you say is the biggest thing that you try to pass on to these guys saying, hey, I've been here for a while, guys, like this is something that I really feel is important that I'd want to pass on to you to help you guys as you continue to mature and develop commitment to yourself, commitment to the team, being friends at the end of the day, knowing that your teammate has your back. Might be, you know, if you forgot your money at the gas station or the coffee shop, they're going to buy your coffee or, or buy a Coke and a Snickers for you, you know? Being a true friend can go a long ways because you're willing to go that extra mile. And so really it comes back to the same phrase I keep saying is belief. Uh, and I was taught that early on in my career from someone that wasn't even my teammate. And uh, I was in uh, my uh, national championship, or uh, I was at the Criterium National Championships in 2005 and I had performed well in previous editions 
and uh, I was on the Mercy Development Squad out of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I had a good chance to win the race, but in the race, we had to chase back this big breakaway. I ended up having to, having to help the team. We've got the breakaway back, and it's, you know, whatever, 30 minutes left in the race. And, you know, there was a good chance I could win, but I was completely blown from chasing. And I was way back in the field just holding on, for, you know, kind of like, oh, I already, you know, I blew myself. And uh, this rider came up to me that had been in racing in criteriums all over the nation for several years. His name's Jason Waddell. And then uh, I was just suffering. And he, he came back to me and he said, Brad, you need to get yourself together because you're going to win this race. And I was like, what? And he said, Brad, you're going in this race. And even on the last lap, I was out of position. I was, you know, 20, 30 wheels back. But that belief or someone else believing in me enabled me to perform even more because I was like, I can do this. I can do this. You know, someone that I've tried to compete against for years who's beat me countless times, who's beat professional cyclists and was a pro himself, has faith in me. And he's not even my teammate. And so I've carried that on throughout the years and Teammates have done that to me countless times, you know, and in, in fact, this last weekend we were preparing for the Criterium at Cascade Classic, and we have a, a sprinter, his name's Shane Klein, and he can also go uphill quite well for a sprinter, and uh, we were heading into the crit, and we told Shane, okay, Shane, we're going to sprint for you, even though, you know, a little bit better sprinter in a Criterium than him, we all put our faith in him, and we're like, no, Shane, you're going to win, we're riding for you, and we had the same thing. We had to chase back a big breakaway. Uh, we were all completely blown. And then in the last lap, last two laps, Shane was by himself because the entire team had worked so hard just to have it come down to a field sprint that Shane was by himself. But Shane knew what the team had sacrificed for him, and he kept himself in position to win that race. And it came down to a bike throw, and he barely got the win. And at, after the race, a big thing he said, he said, thank you for believing in me. And I think that's more empowering than anything for a teammate is just believing in them and, and proving it to them by being selfless, by being self-sacrificing out there on the race, in the races, really committing to the team goal. And that can take the whole team farther than anyone thought. And that's, you know, you saw that at Tour California that the, the team did. And so that's my thought on that. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I'm going to have to pause for a second. Jason Waddell, you made the podcast, man. I hope you give this a listen. I know Jason as well. Really good guy. You want to talk about a veteran in the sport that's also still really fast? Yeah. Jason Waddell is one of those guys and just a, just a great guy. So that's a, that's a cool story. But just to kind of tease this point out a little bit further, and this is something that I try to say in all the podcast interviews that I do because our culture is so twisted on this. You know, you watch these rap videos and you watch SportsCenter and you listen to all these, you know, athletes that kind of or, or artists that don't have it. They don't have the right mindset. This idea of self-made, right? Self-made millionaire, self-made athlete, self-made this, that or the other. And folks, I mean, if you're not getting anything else from all these interviews that I do, all of these people that I have on, they always credit somebody else with helping them out. You're not always going to have 100% belief in yourself. You're not always going to be 100% motivated. That's why you've got a team. That's why you've got a support system. That's why you've got people that maybe give financially, people that give moral support, people that just put an arm around you during tough times. I mean, it takes a village, right? And so this is a theme that's come through a lot in this podcast as well. And I just want to make sure we understand that because it, he's right in those tough times 
you don't have to do it by yourself. If you've got a nice group of people, of, of team there, then they're going to help get you through a lot of these dark, tough moments. And it's just, it's awesome, right? It's, I mean, Brad, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but when one of your teammates wins, it's not you, but man, isn't it just a, isn't it just a joy to see oh, that, to just be a part of that? Right. It's more rewarding than winning yourself. Uh, and, and I'll kind of add to this, that an athlete's continued entitlement and selfishness will more often lead to failure than success. And that can be seen countless times throughout the years. And uh, whenever a rider is able to invest in someone else, they're going to perform that much better. And then, therefore, their athletes will, their teammates will commit to them. And so it's it just builds upon itself. I love it. And I'll make this last point, and then we'll move on. And we can probably sit here all day and talk about teams that weren't, quote, unquote, as talented. But because there was so much cohesion there, because they were so with it and because their vision was so strong and the culture within that team was so good, they were just able to outperform other teams that you would think to yourselves, man, they shouldn't even be, they shouldn't even be able to ride with these guys or compete with these guys. Again, as Brad alluded to, like tour of California for the rally cycling team was awesome. And a lot of people watching that from the outside were thinking to themselves, that's just a Conti team. And there's pro UCI world tour teams there. Like, how is this happening? Look, it's cohesion, it's strength and numbers, and it's the game plan and it's the culture and it's the belief in themselves that just pushes them forward. Right. Look at uh, a very small professional team that ended up dissolving was the Smart Stop team. And they had really banded together because of their director, Michael Creed, who put his faith in those guys, who they were just a band of brothers at the races and they showed up at the national championship and they ended up winning and getting second place at the road national championship against riders that are on world tour squads. And they were racing internationally throughout consistent years. And to be able to pull off that result, that was done because they pulled together as a unit of a belief in themselves and leadership can come from within, but it also comes from the top. And when Mike, instilled that belief in everyone and told them that they're capable of doing it, they went out and proved, proved everyone wrong. And it, that, you know, I look at that team as, as one that, that shows that pulling together as a unit, you can create uh, great, greater successes than anyone fathomed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mike Creed, name that comes up. By the way, he kind of stepped, stepped out for, yeah, he stepped out for a couple of years, but he's with, uh, I don't know if I'm, pronoun- I'm going to pronounce it right, but he's with Aviolo, that cycling team there. And you're seeing some good stuff happening there. So for those of you that follow the sport, you know, that team right there, you know, he's instilling that same deal there over there on that team. And those riders are, they're doing well this year. So uh, maybe a team to kind of look out for and, and one that you definitely would want to root for because, you know, the guy at the helm is just uh, creating a, a neat culture there. He really does create that family atmosphere that just goes so much further than just making it transactional where, hey, you do this for me because I did this for you. It's a no, hey, I'm going to do this for you. And you know what? If you get me back later, that's great. But if you don't, it's fine too, right? And that's when you really see magic happen. And that's when you really see teams and individuals just perform on a high level. So really, really cool to see. Athletes need to understand that this unity carries over in life and will make you more valuable than anyone when it comes to uh, possibly getting a job because you understand the importance of leadership, you understand the importance of cohesion. And so these athletes that come through these programs are so much more valuable in the real world because of 
what they've learned in athletics. And uh, I think that's an, an area that athletes need to understand, that this is also developing them for later in life. Uh, and that could be in a relationship and that could be in a job. You know, that's self-sacrificing. And, uh, you know, having uh, laying yourself down for another one can uh, take you farther. Absolutely. Athletics is a microcosm of life. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brad, what is the most enjoyable thing for you about being a professional cyclist? Giving of myself to others, which has kept me pushing myself uh, in this sport. The friends that I've met throughout the years will be lifelong friends. The professional cycling, different than any other sport because you travel so much and you can race all over the world against athletes of all different calibers. And so the travel is, is amazing. And uh, it just makes you realize how much more is out there in the world than, uh, you know, your local crit scene. And so I really appreciate the the career and, and the, the open awareness uh, that it's given me. Yeah. Speaking of travel, you just came back from how many weeks were you on the road for? We were on the road for about eight weeks. And uh, I'll go backwards in, in the list. We went to Bend, Oregon, Boise, Idaho, Vancouver, British Columbia, oh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I went to Asheville for a short bit. And we went to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so we we're just all over the map. Oh, sorry, I forgot uh, Chattanooga and Knoxville. And, uh, you know, we were racing in all of them and meeting new friends and staying with host house that you just create this bond with that you'll be able to go back and visit those individuals for years to come. And you just see how much life it gives you, see what's out there. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to back that up with this question. Not that I want to be negative. Let me preface this question by because I want folks to see that it's not always rainbows and daisies, right? What would you say is the least enjoyable thing about being a pro cyclist? Doing your best to maintain your routine, uh, the routine that you know will enable you to show up at a given race at top form, uh, which in cycling, it's almost like you have to do that every weekend. And so the consistency is needed in, in your routine, you know, knowing like, okay, I need X number of hours of sleep. I need to ride, you know, these many days a week. Uh, you know, I got to make sure I get my stretch routine in. All those small things that keep you focused and on, on your goal. Uh, and then having the proper nutrition is, is one of the hard things when you travel so much. And so you really have to plan. You need to plan ahead, have snacks with you, always have a bottle with you so you can stay hydrated. And so it's keeping with that, that routine that no will keep you on, on top form. That's the hard. Awesome. Yeah. So just super hard to do because you know that that consistency over time is what yields success. And there's times when maybe you don't want to have a bottle, you don't feel like packing that snack the night before, or you'd rather stay up and not get your eight, nine, ten hours of sleep knowing it's good for you. You'd rather just maybe get seven, and yeah. you can't do those things, right? If you do those things over time, yeah, you know, folks would say, well, I only did it once, I only did it twice. Well, the problem is, is that you multiply that over time. And if you've been a professional like you for 11 years, that time adds up. And now maybe instead, you know, you're in your 11th year. Now maybe, oh, you got eight hours, you know, you got eight years out of the jar and then you had to tap out. Well, all of those years of not being consistent caught up with you. Eight years is still good. It's yeah. still great. Still a good career, but it's not 11, right? And still going. Right. And so, you know, you were talking about how uh, earlier in the conversation, 
for on the air that, you know, you were a runner in college and you were, everyone was on the same program. And then at times you would show up at the, the races and you might not perform as well as you thought you were able to. And so it's understanding in that routine, even though you're all on the same program, you're all on the same travel schedule. Well, what someone else is doing might not benefit you. And you have to actually be a little bit selfish uh, when you're on the road and uh, know what is going to enable you to show up at your best. And that might not be, you know, whatever, going for an extra hour with someone or having a beer or two, uh, you know, you might just have one or zero. And so it's all those small things add up, like you said. And uh, when you're on the road for eight weeks, they, they tend to add up and it, it tends to be a, a pretty heavy burden at the end of it and not just fatigue. So, you want yeah. Man, I, I like that. I like that you said that because that takes self-awareness, right? It takes self-awareness to know, hey, like this person can do this, but you know, that's just not me. And then having the self-awareness to realize that, but then also having the strength of character to say, hey, it's okay, right? Right? That's just that, that's me, and that's them, and that's okay. We're different, right? You know, I've I've been on many training rides with with teammates, and it's been, either been me or myself where. A teammate turned around early and said, hey, man, you know, I got to go home and, and take care of myself. I'm, I'm pretty tired. I'm not going to go for an extra hour or two. And, you know, the next day or at the race, that guy is able to show up and be there when we need him to be there. And that might be because he, you know, as someone would call slacking off, but he was taking care of himself. And that's the most important thing. And so you can show up and be there for your teammates. I love it. You got your eyes on the prize, right? It's being the most useful when it matters the most. Right. And that's race day. That's not necessarily training day. Awesome. Well, to bring back the laser podcast, because I thought this was really, really funny, actually had me laughing. I was riding my bike and I'm sitting there chuckling. People are wondering if I'm crazy. You mentioned a story where uh, you mentioned being a little bit of a joker in the Peloton and just kind of cracking, you know, cracking jokes and, and such like that. And uh, you mentioned a story where you got in a breakaway with another rider and you I don't know. You said you said a joke and it, it, you said it wasn't very funny, but it was just the fact that you're telling a joke while in the breakaway. And so you do. And, I, and I've been around enough and I've seen you around enough at races to know that you do. You have this fun, I guess, spirit, but everybody, I guess, would say they have a fun spirit. But you even take it into like when you're racing, you're just so what is the like, what's your mindset behind that? Is that just kind of it's, it's because who you are and it just comes through even when you're on the bike, you can't turn it off or so what's the mindset behind that? Well, I don't know if you remember, but at that Tora Lawrence race, being a Midwest man and you're from down in Texas, you know, I gave out a couple strong yee-haws whenever I would attack. And <laughs> my buddy Bill Marshall said he was just laughing more than he was pedaling during the race because I was just out there having a great time. And uh, you got to have fun. I mean, even though we know we're all going to be suffering and this is going to be difficult, We've invested so much of our life in this sport that we don't need to lose the reason why we're in it is because we love the sport. We love cycling. We love what it enables us to do and travel. And so you've got to have fun with it. You know, if you're just so focused that you can't even smile at yourself or laugh at yourself, you're you're, you're going to crumble under that pressure. And so if you can look at the brighter side and look at something and laugh about it a little bit, it's going to help you make it through the day. And in fact, I was at... Uh, we raced last weekend, Cascade, or last week, Cascade Classic, and uh, the U.S. national team had a little composite program, and they had a couple World Tour riders, and one of which was a former teammate of mine. Uh, well, a couple of them. Alex Howes was there, and he was riding behind me, and and uh, I sent, I started singing some random song, and he came up to me, and he goes, Brad, you do, do you know 
you're the only person that I've ever heard sing in a race. And then, <laughs> and then he told me, you know what song I like to sing? And he, and he, he sang that, you got to know when to hold them, <laughs> when to walk away. You know, and so and we're getting ready to start the first climb of the day, and he's singing this song to me, and I'm just laughing. And, you know, that small bit of interaction with two friends was great, you know, and it able to kind of like, even though we're focused and we're still watching the wheels in front of us and following the attacks, we're having fun out there, you know, and you've got to have fun in this sport. Otherwise, you're not going to be around very long because it is not fun when it's going hard. Yeah. Just to drive that point home, you're able to tell me that story. You knew what song he was singing. If I asked you what song you were singing, you knew what song you were singing. But if I asked you your power I, output on that climb, if I asked you what results you got at the end of that day, you, you'd have to fetch a little bit to get that information. Right. So as time passes and you and I kind of being a little older, maybe wiser, we begin to realize, you know what? When I'm done doing this thing, you know what I'm going to remember? I'm going to remember the yeehaw at the Tour of Lawrence. Like, that's yeah. what I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember the time in the van when, you know, this happened. I, I mean, I'm not going to really necessarily – I'm not going to be able to give you my Palmaris. I'm not going to be able to tell you every result I got in the year 2008. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. But I can tell you these memories that I have with people, friendship, like you said, team, right? I've got one for my first year as a professional in TIAA craft with a, a bunch of knuckleheads. We were training down in uh, Silver City, New Mexico. We went over to Tucson, Arizona or somewhere to do a race or a hard group ride. And uh, we were driving back to Silver City. We were in a rental van, and Rasan Bahati was sitting in the passenger seat asleep. And we were all driving. It was late at night, and we came up upon this wrecker, and it had a big truck. It was pulling, and the truck was flipped backwards, so the headlights were pointing at us. And so <laughs> we all got up behind the wrecker pulling the big rig, and we all screamed and yelled and hit the brakes. And, and he scared because he thought we were having a head-on collision. And he got so pissed because we instantly started laughing harder than we've ever laughed before. And we still, to this day, love that story. Rasan hates that story. And, you know, it's, it's those memories that you get from the sport and uh, being around your teammates and having a great time. And, yeah, like you said, man, it's, it's the memories that we take away, not the results. Yeah, Absolutely. Man, I love it. You guys are around, and if you know that Rally Cycling is going to be at a local race that maybe you can go out and you can catch that's coming to your town, I highly encourage you guys to go out there. I mean, Brad, he's a fan favorite. You know, the fans love having him out there. The announcers love having him out there. And I think to end on this note, I think it's because of this attitude that he has. He takes it beyond, like, you know, oh, I remember riding my bike as a kid. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's just where they take it back to, just the fun part of it. And with this cutthroat, results-based, this is so serious, nobody can laugh type of thing, you've got this guy in there that's just having a good time. And, by the way, he yells yeehaw every time he attacks. I wish I could because I was probably gasping for air, but if you remember him telling us, he's won that race four times. So having fun and being successful? Wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. This is supposed to be serious business, but it's totally possible. So I love you know, the attitude and the mindset that he has because obviously it works. It can work out in the end because you, in this way, when you're laughing, you're not stressed. You're not anxious. You're not necessarily putting undue pressure on yourself. So, yeah. man, Brad, yeah, that's yep. that's awesome. Do you have anything else you want to share with us before we go? One thing that uh, everyone needs to remember is uh, even though you're having a good time, you're laughing and you're being serious, you're still focused. You're still committed to yourself. You're committed to your teammates and you're going for that 110%, even though you can only do 100. And that goes for 
a training day when you're out there solo and you're trying to finish your last set of VO2 intervals or, you know, a, a certain hill climb that you have to do that to help prepare you for the next race. And so you have to maintain that commitment, even though you're still trying to have fun out there. And uh, at the end of the day, you're going to be able to hold your head high because you gave your best. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for tying a bow on that because he's absolutely right. It's not like we're saying, hey, just have a good time and just kind of leave this thing to chance that maybe you'll go train today and, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'll eat the right thing. No, I mean, we're having a good time, but at the same time, we're never losing sight of the plot, right? And the sight of the plot is 100%, being able to give 100% for ourselves and for others. So, yeah, Brad, thank you so much, man. Brad, can you give us a couple of places where people can kind of follow you and kind of keep up with you and what Rally's doing and all that good stuff? I mean, uh, we're on uh, our Twitter handle, I think, is Rally Cycling. My Twitter handle is Huffy USA. Rally Cycling's on Facebook. We have our uh, the webpage, Rally Cycling or Rally Pro Cycling, it might be. We're out there. We're at the races. We have a women's team also that, shoot, has – Olympians that got bronze medals at the last at the Rio Olympics. They've won multiple national championships. Erica Aller just won uh, her first U.S. Pro Criterium title. I mean, we've got a women's squad that is just as good or better. I mean, they've got Olympic medals than us, you know, the men's squad. And so look for us out on the road. We're wearing orange and we're giving her all. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much for your time, man. He just literally got in a couple days ago from eight weeks on the road. I asked him if he was willing to do this. He told me he absolutely was. I was like, great. I'm sure he's had a pot of coffee at least or maybe getting ready to go take a nap. So, Brad, man, thank you so much for giving your time to us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, Mario. Awesome. Thanks for listening to A Champion's Mind. As you continue to implement the content discussed here, you'll move closer and closer to performing at your utmost potential. Keep challenging yourself and don't settle until you achieve your goals. If you can't wait until the next episode to do some more work on your mental game, head over to utmostperformance.org where you can find some more content to consume. You can also like our Facebook page, Utmost Performance. We sincerely value your support as we continue to partner together to help you perform at your utmost.